You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. So good morning. Uh, we are going to be in Romans um, chapter 12 again, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're continuing on our long saga. Steve and I were just talking this morning. You know, this has been going on a while. We're, we're looking ahead to the next time we preach, and we'll still be doing Romans and that kind of thing. So it's a great book, um, and we hope that you've been uh, blessed by it as we have. Um, so unless you've been living in a cave or under a rock for the last few years, you're probably pretty aware that we have a situation where people, we, we, in the world, we need energy to live, and people are somewhat at odds about how to get that energy. Um, you know, the fights we have all over, I'm not going to get into all that, but you know, it's real. People debate and discuss how we should use and get energy. But in uh, much of scientific history, there's been uh, the Ahab chasing the white whale of how to find energy for free and all that kind of thing. So something that uh, scientists in the past sought after was something called the perpetual motion machine, where they could just, the thing would keep going by itself and then get energy out of that. So I have a video here to show you that kind of thing. I think I've done it, everyone. Perpetual motion. So you can see there's a little slot for the ball to drop into, and it rolls down this track, gains enough momentum, and jumps back up into the top, and just keeps going forever. Watch. Oh, that is so cool. It just keeps going forever. Look at that. This type of machine is so difficult to make. Many have tried and failed. And the reason they failed is because you know what they say the hardest part about a perpetual motion machine is? It's trying to figure out where to hide the batteries. And that's exactly what's going on here. There's a hidden touch switch that turns on an electric pulse that creates a magnetic force that continually pushes the steel ball each time it goes past the bottom of the track. If I turn it off, then it doesn't even come close to getting near the top of the track, let alone flying with enough speed to get back to the top of the track. Now watch what happens when I turn it off. <laughs> Although I will give it to the makers of this machine, the electric power pulse is completely silent, and you wouldn't know it's a hidden power source unless you take it apart at the base here. So, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen, right? It'd be, be great if we could do that. You can harness that for energy, but that's, that's the reality. And the charlatans out there try to push this stuff off on people and, and all that kind of stuff. So the reason I bring that up is we're getting into the section of the scripture of Romans here where we have to, instead of being blessed by the grace of God, we have to live that out, right? And that takes energy. And it'd be great if we had a perpetual motion machine to provide us for that, but I think we might have one, okay? I think I want to share that with you today. So I'm going to uh, read to you from Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 9 through 13. It's a short passage. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your phone available to you. Um, and we're going to just jump into it and try to see how this helps us live for Jesus, okay? So... Uh, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's all we got this week. That simple. Just do it. Okay? So um, I'm going to take a minute to break this down for you. It, uh, this is actually somewhat self-explanatory, I think. There's not a lot of new wisdom you're going to gain from me ever, but in this particular case, uh, there, there's not a lot for me to uh, break down, really. There's a couple things I want to share, though, and then we'll get into how to, how to live this out, okay? 
So the first thing that, as I was reading, it was brought to my attention, is that there are no finite verbs. They are all present continuous. I thought this guy was a math teacher. What's he doing spouting this stuff off, right? Okay. So actually, I want to talk about that for a minute. Okay. That not only are they all present and continuous, they are imperative as well. So there's some grammar for us here. Why am I talking about this? Okay. So I, I just want you to realize, yes, I'm a math teacher. I did okay in my English classes, and I can, I can read and write. It's, you know, you can figure stuff out. And, and we have a tendency to think that way. I bet you guys didn't know that Steve used to be an English teacher. He should be up here doing this stuff, right? I keep the books. He does the, the language things. But no, we can both do some of that. And I bet you didn't know he was a baseball coach for how many years? Four or five years, right? And high school baseball coach, right? I bet you definitely didn't know he was a medic in the Army. He's shared that before. But, you know, so if you hurt yourself around here, you might want to listen to him. Right? But if you don't know that, you don't listen. And I, John's not here. I wish he was because I didn't give him the business, but I'm going to anyway. Okay? We know the pastor. I, many of you don't know he has a doctorate, right? He's, and he's really good at the, the doctorate was on helping other pastors. He coaches them. That, that was what the doctorate was on. Really good at that stuff. And he shared about his uh, wildlife, if any, and stuff like that. But this guy's he's crazy with this stuff. All right? At, we had, during COVID, we were doing some uh, renovations in here. And one night, several of my older boys and I were here doing stuff. And we had all the doors open because we were bringing things in and out. And all of a sudden, this very large bird flew in the building. And we're all, it was going everywhere. It was, it was sizable. Okay, flying through. We're, some of us are ducking. Some of us were you know, trying to figure it out. So I called him because he knows stuff, right? Tell him what's going on. He's like, well, can you take a picture? I sent him this picture. That picture. There we go. That's the exact picture I sent him. This dude says, oh, that's a sharp shin hawk. I'm like, what? From that, you can see, I, I do not have any talent at photography. I will admit that. Right? That's, that's what I sent. He tells me what this thing is. And, and he described it all. And he was exactly right. We could see it better than that. This guy knew that stuff. From out of the blue, he knew. Who's ever even heard of a sharp shin hawk? I don't even know what that is, right? You know, red tail, I got that. Bald eagle, I'm good. Sharp shin hawk, I forget that, right? So he knows stuff. I think I've done it, he everyone. To tell me how to get the bird out of the building. And he starts telling me about how it behaves. I'm like, dude, just let me get this thing out of here, all right? <laughs> so I got to finish the story, okay? We were, we were in here, and my boys were teenagers, and they were rambunctious, and they were going to get this bird. Sean told me at some point, just leave the windows open. In fact, if you want to leave the doors open, it'd be all right. In the morning, it'll leave. That sounds good to me. They're going to get this bird. So we were painting in here, and there was a tarp laying around. Like, we'll catch it with the tarp. I'm like, okay, this will be fun. Let's watch this. Right? So I'm watching them, and this thing's flying all over the place. They're throwing the tarp and missing it. All right, whatever. And we're, we're laughing. Like, this is okay, right? And this, that's not going to hurt us. It's running away from us. And at least mom's not here, right? She'd be bugged out. Well, what do you think happened about five minutes after we said that? Mom showed up, right? Mom and son number four showed up, right? Comes in. I'm like, oh, no, all right, she's here. <laughs> she's, all right, what is that? All right, just, we, and she wanted to look at the nursery. We were working at the nursery at the time. So I just took her back here. It never passed where Wayne's sitting back there. The exit sign, it never passed there. It stayed in this big room. And I told her, it's been, staying, it's been in here for like 20 minutes. It's not coming back here. So we went back there and looked. She's looking in the corner at the things we were doing. And ba boom Bird's sitting there looking at us. He hit the door and came in. I'm like, what? So I'm like, all right, what are we doing? She's running away. And it, it just ran away, and I was glad. I'm like, oh, goodness. So we're in here, and she left quickly. And uh, so they're out here still trying to get this thing. And I got tired. I'm like, guys, come on. Let's just go home. Sean said it'll leave if we leave. No, no, we're going to get it. They got it. As it flew under the soffit back there, they threw it up. They got the thing. No birds were harmed in this activity, I assure you. Okay. Got it, dragged it outside, 
pulled the thing and ran, and it took off, and it was all good. But that was a crazy experience. I knew it was a sharp-shinned hawk, because Sean knew something who knew, right? The reason I tell you all of this stuff is you never know what people will know. You'll never know what people will do either when a bird comes in the building and they're throwing tarps at it, or whatever. Um, I, we shouldn't pigeonhole each other and say they don't know anything, okay? Or, or why should I listen to them? We should listen and see what people know, and it's an important thing, because here's Paul's telling us stuff. It's common sense stuff. But if we listen to each other as we talk about this, it will help you. Okay, so I'm going to share some grammar with you because I think it makes sense in this case. All right, it's, it, I read that these verbs are not finite. I'm sure Sean could tell us all the great grammar here. I'm not. That's not my thing. But you know, finite and present continuous and imperative. So imperative means you have to do it. It's not a question. This is what you need to do. Um, the present continuous finite thing was interesting to me to think about it. To simplify this down a little bit. We all know, most of us know, I don't know about some folks that are still younger, but most of us know the idea of past, present, future tense, and verbs, right? That kind of thing. So I ran to the store would be the past tense. I did it. It's done, right? I'm going to run to the store. Well, that's in the future, but it's going to be done, okay? Right now, I'm running to the store right now. It's something I'm doing, but it's going to have a finish, right? What Paul is saying right here in, these, in all of these verbs, he's saying, I'm running. That's just what he is. He's running. There's no stop to it. It never ends. Okay? So all the things that we're told here today to do are of that nature. You got to do them, and you don't get to stop. That's an important thing to know, I think, because it really, it really changes the tone of what Paul's saying. It's not a suggestion. I, I mean, he can't twist your arm and make you do it, right? But if you go to your mechanic and he says, you need new tires, he's kind of telling you, you're not going to be safe if you don't, right? You should do this. This is what you should do in a strong suggestion way, okay? So that, that's what Paul's telling us, you gotta do it, all right? So I just wanna jump down through these verses here. There, there's not many of them. I'm just gonna touch on some of the key words to maybe clarify a little bit for you, but I really do wanna get to the application part of this because that's where you're gonna make difference in your life, okay? So verbs and all that, it's good to know, but if you don't do it, it doesn't really make a difference, okay? So it talks about how our love must be genuine, okay? Other uh, translations. This was I went to some other translations here because some of these words have nuance to them, and I, I wanted to figure out kind of where it was coming from. Other translations talk about how it, it should be sincere and without hypocrisy. Okay, uh, the word sincere always. I love talking about this word because it's such a it's a Latin word that means exactly what it means in Latin, and it's totally evident what it's talking about. Sinna sere means without wax. That's what it means, and it was a trick, another charlatan kind of thing, a trick of potters to put wax in the cracks of their pottery and then glaze it over so that you wouldn't notice the cracks. And if you held it up to the light, you could see the cracks through the wax, right? Like, or you could see that. And so sincere means without wax. There's no cracks. You're not hiding anything. You are what you are, as you know, without hypocrisy also is, right? So our love needs to be that way. It needs to be real. It needs to be um, not put on for each other or for God. He knows our hearts. That's silly. But we'll do that, right? We'll act in a way that he trying to make him impressed with us. It's got to be real. It's got to be for him. It's got to be through Jesus, right? That is what your love should be like. No debates. That's what you got to do. And you don't get to stop. You got to do that forever. That's how, you, that's how you have to be. It's almost describing how we are instead of what we do, if you think about it that way. And that, again, makes a pretty big difference. If you show love to somebody, well, I'm done with that. But if you love them, that's who you are. Right? There's a difference there. Um, and the, a flip side of this, too, and it's an important kind of thing that uh, 
Most of you have encountered this at some point, probably. You know, God is love, and then we stop talking, and then we get no real boundaries or realities of things, and and nothing, anything goes kind of thing, right? To not let love turn into that kind of sentimentality and just, you know, do whatever you want kind of feel, we have to have the idea of of holiness, the holiness of God. It has to be part of that. Um, We have to put apart from us what is evil. It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That is evidence of a sincere love, right? If you uh, have a true love in your heart, you'll love what God loves, and you'll not like what he doesn't like. Hate, I mean, it says, I'm going to say hate, right? No, hold, hold, abhor, abhor, right? That word is just a, a complete disgust with. I don't want to have it, not going to do it, right? Um, and when you think about our what the other parts of Romans says, when it talks about confessing, right? Confessing that God, Jesus is your Lord, or if we confess our sins in other parts of the scripture, and again, another Latin idea, confess means, that might be Greek, I'm not sure, to say with, to say the same thing as, right? So if you're going to confess that Jesus is your Lord, you need to say the same thing as he does about stuff. So if you're holding on to things in your heart that are not honoring him, your love really isn't all that genuine, right? And it needs to be. That's what Paul's telling us. And that needs to be the way it is all the time. Um, you know, well, nobody's perfect. I'm far from it. But these, these are our goals, these are our aspirations. These should be the targets we're shooting at, right? And, and to always be doing that. So if we're going to love genuinely, we have to put away the evil and then hold fast to the good. And that hold fast, that word was used to talk about gluing things together. Gluing them together so you can't pull them apart. Hold that good to your heart so tightly that that's who you are because you're glued to it. Okay, that's that's that concept in that first verse here, and it's the starting of this discussion, right? If we don't have that love for God and love for Christ, none of the rest of this matters. Again, one of the things that we run into going through a book like this that was intended to be read all at once and, you know, have all the logic follow, when we break it down into these chunks, we sometimes lose the logic. All of us that have preached through this have mentioned that to you guys, right? We had a stretch where we were going through hearing about how bad we all were, right? We spent a few weeks talking about that. And then we got to hear how God did through Jesus to fix that, right? So we didn't have to worry about being as bad as we were because he fixed it, covered it over. And now we're getting into a place where how do we live with this? How do we, how do we put that out then, right? If we don't remember that we were bad and he saved us, this makes less sense. So we have to have that as a package, right? We have to put that together. So this is the starting point to let us go forward, that love of Christ. Then it talks about uh, you know, some more behavior kind of stuff, right? It talks about brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. So that, as most of us are familiar with, is Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love with Philadelphia, that, that kind of thought. And I, I was surprised to hear it, that seems to have originated in the use that we have of brotherly love uh, between non-family members. That seems to have originated with Christians in ancient history, that that, that term began to be used that way once people were loving each other as for brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that kind of family. That was not the usage of it until uh, Christians came into, into um, that kind of fellowship. So I thought that was an interesting thing. But that, that, that affection you feel for your family. And, you know, we talk about God's our Father. We talk about the family of the, the church family, stuff like that. I, I got to keep remembering that some people don't have a good family history, right? Some people had fathers that were abusive, some people hate their brothers and sisters and think they're nuts, right? So not everybody necessarily has that same look at this as I do. And i got to remember that because 
that's what God calls us to. And it is, family is good, right? The, it, it, isn't it, I can't remember the exact phrasing of the psalm, but it, it, isn't it so good when the brothers dwell together in unity, right? That, that's the way it's supposed to be. So all of us that have different family situations that have irked us or made us kind of walk away or not want to deal with it, that's because those people are not loving like Jesus, right? Or sometimes they even are, and they're just messed up for a spell. But we got to have that connection like our family. The, in the ancient Greek time, family was family, and, you know, you, you took care of them. Obviously, you know, once it got to uh, ruling the Roman Empire, they would kill their family to take it. But, you know, the, the normal people of that day, family was family, and, and you were tight. You didn't let that go, and that's what, that's what Paul's telling us here. Love each other like family is family, and don't stop. Okay, that, that's what he's calling us to do. Um, he tells us to outdo one another in, how does it phrase it? Outdo one another in showing honor, right? Uh, it's almost like a challenge, you know, and, and that's not what it's intended to be. What, it, what it's intended to be is to point us to scriptures like Philippians 2, uh, where we're told to consider others better than ourselves, right? Just keep, keep putting it out there. Put, up, put those other folks first. Outdo one another with putting each other first, with honoring them, with loving them, with taking care of them. You know what? If we all do that, everybody gets taken care of. Right? It's an ideal world, I know. But in, in, in an ideal world, we're all taking care of each other, and we don't have to look out for ourselves to the point where we all get you know, button heads and, and feeling like, you know, i got to get mine. And then that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. A lot of this is the way it's supposed to be. And if we can't do that, the world's got no hope. And guess what? The world's got no hope, right? They can't do it. We have to, we have to do that because Christ did what he did in us, okay? And to make it an effort, it's, it, it's, it's telling you, if you're, if you're challenged to outdo each other, you've got to put some effort into that, right? That's not going to be just a, it happens by the way. You've got to make it an intentional thing to honor each other, to, to love each other, to take care of each other. And this is what Paul's calling us to as a result of that whole first 11 chapters of Romans, to look at our sin, look at what God did, be encouraged by that to go live, right? It's, this is almost a culmination of those things. Then the next thing he talks about is uh, a little bit more like life patterns and ways to deal with things. He tells us um, not to be slothful in zeal, okay? So you guys all know what a sloth is, right? Can you picture one? Because when I picture one, this is what I see, okay? I can't help myself. So that I realized, this is from a kid's movie, Zootopia. I realized when I was writing this, I reference kids' movies all the time. Sean re references nature, right? I got a lot of kids, and we watch a lot of movies, okay? So that's a lot of, and I tell you, people who write these things are very clever. This, this I won't go too deep into it, but this is movie Zootopia. It's a, a scene at the DMV, and they're all sloths, and it's awesome. It is so funny, so you should check that out. If you're interested in that, uh, you can watch the clip on YouTube. I, it's, it's like four minutes long. I, I can't, I'm almost laughing now. It is just ridiculous. All right. But anyway, sloths, we know what they are, right? Slow and uh, this kind of thing. That's your picture. So slothful, the idea there would be um, you're not moving real fast. And in fact, our uh, thought would be kind of lazy and taking it easy, right? One of the synonyms that was used in other scriptures was indolent, and that's a pretty aggressive word. <laughs> you use that one on someone, you're telling them they're not worth much, okay? So that, that's the idea Paul's trying to get through here, is slothful. Don't be slothful, but not just in general. Not a good idea. We have plenty of Proverbs telling us not to be lazy, to take care of things, to, you know, work, take care of your home, work, to put away things in the window. That's not, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's, he says, 
Do not be slothful in zeal, in the things that you're supposed to be zealous for. All this other stuff we just talked about, and all the things earlier in Romans, our faith in Christ, our trust in him, our love for him, our love for each other, our desire to see other people saved, our desire to do good works for God's name, all that stuff that we should be zealous for, don't be lazy. And this is that, again, that continuing, you know, not definite kind of idea. That's who you need to be is not someone who's thought of as lazy. I, I, I have my spells where I want to take a nap. I get it, right? We all have times where it's just, I don't want to do anything. Today is a perfect day for that, right? I just don't want to do anything. But we can't. We can't be that way, especially for the things that God's called us to do. We have to be zealous. We can't be slothful, okay? And let that be you, right? That's the idea he's saying. He then says, be fervent in spirit. Complete, uh, complete flip around there, right? Slothful to fervent, okay? So fervent, that word actually means boiling. So contrast that to a sloth and then boiling water, complete opposites, right? All the energy poured in, it's just bubbling up. So he's telling us to be fervent in our spirit. Let, let the Holy Spirit guide you. And by the way, you just heard the source of the perpetual motion machine, right? The Holy Spirit's working on us, and we got all kinds of things that, that you never thought you could do, you can do. Uh, I just that, that's, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but that, that boiling up isn't from you, it's from God. But let it go, right? Let that boiling up, that's, he's working on you. Let it go and do the things you need to do to serve the Lord, as it says, right? Now, here's something interesting. That word serve there is directly related to slavery. That, that, that was the term he was using. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Obviously, our history of slavery is not something to be proud of. But the concept of just giving yourself over and being his and not holding anything back, everything you have is his kind of thing. That's what he's calling for here. Again, that continuing it doesn't stop verb. That's tiring to think of, right? That's what he's calling us to, guys. Just that's, there's the words. That's what they say. And then he transitions from like character and, and how to live to attitude somewhat, right? The way your attitude should be about all this. Rejoice in hope, okay? Now notice, serve the Lord, rejoice, not an accident, right? The, if we're serving with a fervent spirit, it's not going to be a burden. We can rejoice in doing that. If you're serving out of your own strength, if you're serving begrudgingly, it's not going to be very joyful. And he's calling you not to do that, right? He's calling you to serve him out of what he's given you, right? All the energy he's given you. And it can be low sometimes, okay, but God be his, right? Serve with joy in hope, okay? So hope is a funny word. Our, our, our culture has twisted hope into meaning something a little bit different than what the Bible means, okay? Our hope is intended to be like a confidence that something's going to happen eventually, right? We just don't know when. So I don't know about you, but he's coming back, yes? Right? Uh, can I get an amen? Yeah, all right, he's coming back, right? We just don't know when. That's the hope we have. The world's hope is different. The world's hope um, is, geez, I, I, maybe it'll happen. That'd be great if it did, right? An easy example is sports. I hope my team wins the championship. That's, the, that's that kind of hope, I hope, right? Man, they had the best regular season in history. They loaded up at the trade deadline. They are world beaters. They play awful and they can't lose. And then they choke in the first round of the playoffs. They give it away. <laughs> right? There ain't no hope in that. That's no good. Right? But that's sports. That's not life. We have a God who we know gave us all of this stuff and is coming back. That's the hope we have. Rejoice in that. 
right? Rejoice in that. That is something to be excited about. Be patient in tribulation. Like when your team loses in the playoffs. Be patient in that, right? Um, but be patient in tribulation. Um, uh, uh, there was a couple things I was reading. There was a really good quote I want to read to you. The realization, realization that life is to some extent an obstacle course keeps a person from being surprised when things do not go as planned. Right? We have expectations of everything's going to go grand, and then when it doesn't, we get mad. I, I do that all the time. I think I'd have learned by now. But, you know, that, that's, that, that's problematic. <laughs> you get really frustrated with that stuff. We know the world is broken. We know people are sinners. We know we're sinners. We know we're going to screw up, and everybody around us is going to screw up and leave us hanging in the wind, right? It happens. That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't excite you, but it doesn't need to surprise you and then make you angry. Be patient with that stuff. The world is messed up. He's coming back. Right? That's, that's the fix. In the meantime, we got to do this stuff that he's called us to do and put up with the troubles of the world and be patient with it. And it's not even just to put up with. It really isn't. That, that was another thing I read, too. It's not just putting up with it. It's, um, well, I have a hard time saying it, but embracing it, right? That I still get irritated with, you know, that I've said this up here before. James telling us to rejoice in suffering. Like, what? What are you talking about, right? But we're supposed to be able to take things and not lose our minds, right? To be able to see the hope in life, know that God's in control and all that stuff. So that's what he's calling us to do here. Be patient in that tribulation. And part of our attitude, be constant in prayer, right? We got to be steadfast in that and persistent. Now, you don't need to get down on your knees every time you do that. You don't even need to go off and be by yourself. You can be in your car. You can be in front of a class of kids. You could be dealing with that cranky boss, whatever it is. You can touch base with God and let him know I'm needing you, right? It's an attitude. It doesn't need to be verbalized even. It ought to be regularly, but it doesn't need to be. He knows your heart. Holy Spirit knows what we need before we even thought about it. Connect with him. Be constant in that. Don't, don't try to be off on an island. In fact, here's another, here's another quote that I just I realized I had here. No man should be surprised when life collapses as if he insists on living it alone. Right? If you insist on disconnecting from God, you're going to get what you asked for, and it's not going to be so fun. Right? You can be connected to God, and it might not be fun, but at least you're connected. Okay? So, again, all of these things, we got to keep living that way. That needs to be describing us. That needs to be who we are. And then finally in this section, it's telling us how to practically do some things. Right? It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Right? Contribute to the needs. Share with was another uh, descriptor I read there. And of the saints, calling us specifically to God's people to take care of them. There's, there's a passage in Galatians that says, do well unto everyone, especially God's family, right? We are to have a bit of a preference for our family of Christ. It's okay to do that, right? God says, take care of your people. That's what he's saying. Um, and the, the idea there is to help them in what they need, whatever that is, right? Who knows? It could be they need some clothes, they need some food, they need some love, right? This is particularly contributing with goods, but the, the connection with them and loving them that we saw, you know, love each other, brotherly affection, that's got to be part of that too, right? If you're, if you're connected to your, your family and they need something, you're going to take care of them. That, that, that's what family needs family, right? That, that's what that means. You're not going to let that go. So that, that should be somewhat evident, I think, you know? And then he says, and seek to show hospitality. Again, our culture has kind of lost what the... the Bible means about hospitality somewhat, not in a bad way, just it's different. We often think of hospitality as entertaining people in your home, and you usually do that with your friends or people that you know. This particularly is talking about taking care of strangers in need. That, that's what that word is used there. 
that's a little bit different, right? We, how many of you just go somewhere and, hey, you, you come to my house tonight because you look like eating a meal? Uh, that doesn't happen too often, right? But we're called to do that. We're called to take care of people who need stuff that aren't our friends. And that's, you know, again, kind of supposed to be doing that on a regular basis. So um, that's a tough one in, in reality, right? We don't even have opportunity to do that so much. Uh, our church helps the city mission. You can kind of think of that too. There's ways to do that that aren't bringing people in your home, but it's certainly the idea of taking care of people who you don't know that need things, right? So it's a, it's a thing that doesn't happen anymore, but I used to all the time stop when people were broken down on the side of the road. You know, with cell phones now and everything, no, nobody does that. Actually, there's someone on the street where now I live, I, I met, she was a young lady, so she probably didn't want to see me dealing with, I, she was changing her tire. I pulled up next to her, you need a hand? No, no, okay, I'm not gonna you know, get out and force it on her. But you know, we don't do that anymore. People tend not to do that. Last summer, actually, we were just talking about this, it was, I think it's to the day, our big green van broke down um, in the middle of nowhere. I think I shared that from the pulpit last year. Um, and a guy stopped, I was shocked. We were sitting there doing nothing. He stopped, can I help you? And he was, he was insistent. We were sitting there doing nothing, so maybe he knows something. Maybe he knows something I don't, right? Let him look. Couldn't fix it, it was fine. But he actually stopped, right? That, that just doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to back in the day when there were no cell phones and people would need help like that. So, you know, that's a simple example of, of the way to live that way too. So all of those, that, that's, that's the passage. You know, it's not super complicated. The, those things I think most of you probably could have figured out on your own. Uh, if you took the time to read the books I read, you would understand the verb thing too, right? It's not like it's magic, okay? Um, so what I want to do is take this into like a practical application, and it's just, it's very handy for us. We've been talking about as pastors the need to kind of reiterate some of these ideas in, in the ways that we have in our Discover class. We have some nice neat packages to tell people how to think about it. So I want to take that opportunity to do that with some of you guys, right? Some of you have been through this, some of you haven't, but we've clustered all this stuff into simple ways of how you live as a Christian, how you follow Christ, okay? So the, the three things are love Christ, love your church, and love the community, right? Those are the three things that we uh, have in our Discover class that we talk about. And this passage is full of this. It was really kind of, you know, as I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about, I'm like, this is screaming that. I might as well share. We were talking about needing to share it more openly. I'm going to share it with these guys, all right? So you can see love Christ in several of these verses. Okay, verse 9 and verse 11. I have them up here for us. Uh, those are very clear calls to love God, to love Christ. Okay, I'm going to put verse 12 on all of them because verse 12 is going to indicate you the growth in your heart that is going to happen as you do these things, right? If you do all this stuff, you love Christ, love the church, love your community, you're going to rejoice in hope. You're, going to, you're just going to grow in that, right? You're going to be patient in tribulation. As you're out loving God, you're going to run into hard things. As you're loving people in the church, you're going to run into hard things. As you're loving the community, you're going to run into hard things, and you need to be patient in that. And then if you're not praying while you're doing it, you're on an island, and that's a bad place to be in this circumstance. Okay, So it's very clear to me that loving Christ is in the middle of this, that if we don't love him, none of this is going to work. Okay, And then loving the church, that's the family of God, right? There was a specific, specific, two specific calls to that in verses 10 and 13. Show brotherly affection to each other, love each other that way, and to outdo one another, honoring each other, putting each other first, and then contribute to the needs of the saints. Be, you know, physically, financially, whatever it is you need to do to help people do stuff, right? That's a very clear call in the scripture, a way you can live. And then the third one is loving your community. Seeking to show hospitality to those who don't know, that would be loving the community. 
And uh, again, if you get out in the middle of that, you're going to need all those things as well. You're going to need to be rejoicing in the hope that you have because it's hard right now. You're going to be patient through that tribulation. You've got to be connected in prayer. Okay. And what we talk about in our class is that these things are kind of like the lights on the dashboard of your car. That's how Sean phrases it. If, if something's lit up here that it's not working, you got to think about taking care of that, right? Maybe it's okay, but you need to look at it. Um, so what we try to do for you guys is we try to put this out there, preach the word when it's there, tell you the things that you ought to be doing, but we don't come to your house and knock on the door. Hey, you love the community today? We don't do that, right? That's not our job. Our job is to equip the saints to be able to do these things. This is between you and God, all of this stuff. Now, as you interact with each other and connect, you'll start to see this in each other and hopefully encourage it in each other. And we certainly try to do that as we connect with you guys. Um, and quite frankly, if you have openly sinful behavior, we'll probably address that with you. Matthew 18 tells us how to do that. Um, but generally speaking, we're not like big brother looking over your shoulder. You've got to be looking at yourself. In 2 Corinthians, it says, examine yourself to see if you're still in the faith, right? So we're putting these out there for you as, as things that God's calling you to do and just saying, hey, you doing them, right? Are you, are you actively engaging your brain? And we simplified it down to loving Christ, loving church, and loving the community, but we could take this passage and do the same thing. Is your love genuine? You tell me. I don't know. I can't see your heart, right? Are, are you loving your brother? I don't know. You, you're getting along with each other. You're helping each other out. And it's great to hear the stories. We have all kinds of stories of people that just do things for each other. We never know it. I love that. It is, it is so, it's not even comprehensible to think that Sean, Steve, and I could coordinate all of you guys helping each other the way you might. That's just silly, right? As you get connected with each other, you do stuff. I, we've had several instances where people have helped each other and never told a soul, and we just find out about it later, and it just warms my heart. It's awesome. Right? That's the, way, that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay? So we're not coming looking for that stuff. That, that's, that's you guys being told as people, I'm going to say grown-ups. Most of you are grown-up in here. Some of you aren't, but you're getting there. Right? As people who can take care of themselves, go do this stuff. Okay? And what we uh, realize is that there will be, here's where the kind of the perpetual motion idea comes in. There will be some natural consequences. I have a little diagram here that will help you see what, what's going on. So if you love... You'll start to serve, and then you'll grow, maybe. All right? This is the idea behind this. And I, you could have put arrows both ways on this, but it was too hard to make that diagram. This is easier. right? Imagine, imagine arrows both ways. Okay? So I feel like you can step into any part of the circle and watch the perpetual motion of growth happen. Okay? If you simply start by loving God and loving Christ, you'll start to do things that God wants you to do. And those will be things like serving each other or serving him some way. As you do that, you will naturally grow in your faith. You will naturally grow to trust him more. You will naturally be able to grow in some of these things about prayer and your fervent spirit and patience. And you'll just naturally happen because that's what happens when you serve God as he grows you. Okay, so you could start at loving him or loving, loving Christ, right? You could start there. You could start by not really liking that person but serving them anyway. And when you start to do that kind of stuff, if your heart's right, you'll get over not liking him and actually probably start to like him, right? There's a natural affinity when you start to help people to, to take care of them. Your, your, your heart is touched and you grow, and then you love him more, and it's a cycle, okay? If you're growing from other things and you realize, I need to love Christ more, you'll take the steps to do that, and then you'll probably start serving in some way differently than you were doing before. So this this kind of thing, this is, this is why I thought of the perpetual motion thing, because when we do these things, and the Holy Spirit gets in the middle of that, 
it is perpetual motion, energy from nowhere. You're not gonna know what happened to you. You're gonna change, okay? And that, that's our, our motto here is, is helping people to know and follow Jesus Christ and see their life change. I, I said it wrong, but you get the idea, okay? To see life change through that. We wanna see life change through people knowing and following Jesus Christ. That's our phrase that we use on all of our documents, okay? This goes on like this. And I tell you what, that part about uh, connecting with each other, this is a big piece of connecting. Because when you connect with each other to serve, two of you go together to serve or five of you go together to serve, that grows not just you, but each other and through each other, right? One of the things that we have to really um, take seriously here as a church is um, the, the impact we have on each other. The fact that reaching out and touching each other's lives makes a difference, okay? And this, this has all been here kind of a positive thought, but even when we're messing up, we're all going to mess this up. We're all going to choose not to serve when we should, choose not to be loving when we should, and we're going to quit growing because we don't feel like it. It's going to happen to all of us. And it, that's one of the reasons we gather together. Gather together to encourage, don't forsake the gathering of one another to encourage one another to good deeds from Hebrews, okay? In fact, it's been a, the, uh, just recently finished coaching with Phil. We coached Babe Ruth baseball together with our boys. And one of the things he pushed those kids to do, and it was I jumped right on the train with him, was when the guy next to you makes a mistake, pick him up, right? You don't chirp at him. You don't give him a hard time. It's okay. You'll get the next one, and we're going to get this guy out next time, right? That, that was awesome. Chris, right? Isn't that how it works? You listening? <laughs> All right, gotcha. right? That was, it was just awesome to, to be able to tell teenage boys that in that context. But that's, I'm telling you guys that. It's okay. We'll get the next one. Pick up the ball and let's run, right? Let's do this. That, that's how important we are to each other. We, 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 don't, we underestimate how, how much it means. We, we live a life in America of somewhat isolation. Right, we all, I won't say all, there's a lot of extroverts out there, but I know it's easy for a lot of us to drive into our garage, go in our house, and never see anybody else, right? That is not healthy, and I'm speaking to myself right now, right? It is way more healthy for us to encourage one another, and then we can go out and talk to other people and, and put them in a place where they might know Christ, okay? So that, that's, that's something. I, I'm, I'm not going to let us off the hook here. We're not going to come harass you, but you guys got to look. You got to look at your dashboard and see how it's working, right? Examine yourself. Think about if these things are going on in your lives. And if they're not, it's okay. Pick up the ball and run. Get the next guy out, right? It's not too late to start. Never too late to start serving Jesus, right? You always do that next thing. Put the other stuff behind. Leave it on his plate. Let him know. Cast your cares on him. Let him know you regret it and move on. And just do the next thing he's got for you, okay? So I'm going to close this up with a prayer. Then we're going to go on time in the Lord's Supper, okay? Lord, it's challenging to be told to look at yourself. Father, it's hard to examine and see our shortcomings. It is so good to know that you saw all of those before you even we even knew who you were. You saw all of that stuff, Lord. And you called us by your name anyway. Father, we, we thank you that you have such a forgiving and gracious spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would just grab a hold of our hearts, each and every one of us. Help us just to look where we're at and take that next step. Who knows what that is? You know. That's who knows, Lord. Just pray that everybody in the room would, would hear from your spirit today and just take that one next step closer to you, wherever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So as we go into our time of the Lord's Supper, often um, the, the focus on uh, this time is a, a looking at our lives in terms of uh, being worthy. In fact, I'm going to read that scripture in a minute. I, this is a different kind of uh, thought process, but I think it lands pretty closely to the same idea. Let me read this to you and talk about that for a second. Okay, the, uh, it's a passage from 1 Corinthians uh, that Paul wrote. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. It's a very familiar passage, but I'm gonna, Sean usually doesn't read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole thing. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, in, this, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's usually where we stop, right? I want to keep reading here. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But, we have judged our, but if we have judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So where am I going with that? That People usually take that, and it's an appropriate thing, that if you haven't uh, surrendered your life to Christ, you probably shouldn't take of this because you're taking it in an unworthy manner. And I would just put that out there again. We don't, again, we don't come around looking who did and who didn't. But this needs between needs to be a uh, it's an important thing, right? It's an important remembrance of what Jesus did for us. If you're not on board with that, what are you remembering, right? So that that's just something that I I try to say every time we do this that anyone who has surrendered their life to Christ is welcome to join us at this. But I caution you if you haven't, you heard that's not so good. So just letting you know that. But for our conversation today. Um, I, I don't think all the things I was talking about makes you worthy or not worthy. Don't don't get that message if you if you think I'm coming from there. I'm not. We're worthy because of what Jesus did for us. But it is a time to examine, right? It says examine yourself. See where you're at. Based on this sermon today, I, I would hope you would take a second just to think about, hey, how am I doing with this? Lord, help me see, right? I, I love you. I trust you. I, I, I know I'm not worthy. I'm only worthy because you're blood. But how am I doing and living for you? And take that thought in this time around. Okay, so let's just take a minute and, and contemplate that.